earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's part five in our This Means War series, as we continue our sober look at spiritual warfare and develop a spiritual warfare primer. And remember, the podcasts are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's part five is called The Heart of the Matter. And we'll continue our expansion of the believer's weaponry in Ephesians 6, as elaborated on by the Apostle Paul. Today we'll examine the breastplate of righteousness. But before we do that, friends, I suppose that many of you are familiar with the writings of C.S. Lewis, probably best known in Christian circles for his book, Mere Christianity, and also for his fiction series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Interestingly enough, the list of Lewis's books also happens to include a book on spiritual warfare, a masterpiece of satire called The Screwtape Letters. You owe it to yourself to read this book. The Screwtape Letters is a compilation of letters between Uncle Screwtape, a highly placed assistant to Satan, who is referred to as Our Father Below, and his nephew Wormwood, a novice demon, so to speak. Screwtape is mentoring Wormwood on how to subtly draw Christians away from their faith. His letters always begin with, My dear Wormwood. In one particular letter, Uncle Screwtape is encouraging Wormwood because one of Wormwood's patients has become a Christian. And even though Screwtape is displeased, he still writes, There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. By the way, the enemy's camp is a reference to God's camp. Screw tape goes on with all the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. You see, friends, Uncle Screw Tape isn't riled by a mere conversion to Christ. In fact, he knows full well that believers who fail to go on to maturity, live obediently, and embrace the spiritual disciplines that characterize true disciples, do not in any way alarm the forces of darkness. Author Randy Alcorn, in 2000, another master of Christian fiction in the spirit of Screwtape Letters, wrote Lord Falgren's Letters. In Alcorn's scenario, Lord Falgren, a senior demon, writes to his understudy, Squaltane, instructing, My beloved Squaltane, make the vermin ignore us when we're there, and exorcise us when we aren't. And vermin here is referring to Christians. Falgren continues, Let them lay hands on people and cast out the demon of loneliness, the demon of back pain, the demon of kidney stones, and the demon of constipation. 
Not only is this a distraction from our central work on their minds and morals, it comes with a bonus. Because of their silliness, others conclude, all this demon stuff is nonsense. When they ponder demon activity, make Bible believers think, back then, but not now, over there, but not here. Let the gulf of time and distance convince them they're somehow beyond the cosmic war. I'm pleased when squadrons teach them nothing about us, and when they teach error and excess about us. Let them see us behind every bush, or behind no bush at all. Let them see us behind every convulsion, handicap, foaming at the mouth, gnashing of teeth, or display of superhuman strength. Or let them see us in none of them. Let them fear we're everywhere and imagine we're nowhere. Psychological and medical labels are easy to hide behind. Multiple personality disorder? Been there, done that. Fortunately, many of these so-called spiritual warfare experts don't know what they're doing, even when they publish how-to manuals on casting us out. I don't minimize the horror of sudden eviction. It's humiliating and unnerving. The first time it happened, all I could think of was the enemy casting me into the nether darkness before my time. And the enemy is a reference to Jesus. But even if the expulsion works, it still leaves a vacuum. How will they fill it? Let them cast us out. Imagine they have, as long as the vermin keep making the choices that invite us back in. Let them name and bind us to their heart's content, as long as they entertain the thoughts and engage in the activities that give us power over them. Make them think we can control them against their will, or because they're Christians, we can't influence them at all. Both lies are useful. If they never think about us, we have them. If they always think about us, we have them. Ignore us, they're ours. Obsess over us, they're ours. Having their eyes on us is as good as having them on themselves. The only important thing is they don't have them on him. The book, in other words, the Bible, doesn't tell them to rebuke a spirit of dissension, but to agree and be united in the same mind. It doesn't tell them to rebuke a demon of incest, but that the offender must repent and change his behavior or be expelled. We can short-circuit discipleship by telling them they can break patterns of sin simply by uttering magic words, requiring no ongoing acts of obedience. Who needs accountability and discipline to establish new patterns of purity when they can simply cast out the demon of lust? Lord Falgren continues, I've been in deliverance encounters when I've fed them a steady stream of false information. You can't imagine how many of them believe what I say, even when they've rebuked me as a lying spirit. I saw an entire chapter of a book conveying information I gave them. Nearly all of it I made up while they tried to exorcise me. Did somebody say, gullible? So it's no power plays and sweeping declarations of our defeat that frighten me. It's quiet prayers for personal holiness and greater yieldedness to the enemy. Far better that they focus on us then look to their own hearts or ask the enemy to cleanse them. Friends, can you see what's happening here? 
Randy Alcorn, in the spirit of C.S. Lewis, utilizes satire to expose a demonic ploy, a demonic ruse, if you will, a satanic vortex that sadly a whole segment of the church has been sucked into. So, friends, in instructing us about the armor of God, Paul basically warns, don't leave home without it. Now, that's not actually the verse. It's Pastor Tom's paraphrase, but I think you get my drift. Since we began this series, I've shared that the individual pieces of the armor, the physical pieces, are not what Paul is attempting to describe. From his prison experiences being chained between two Roman soldiers, Paul had time to observe the armor worn by these guards. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he drew a parallel. The earthly soldier's weaponry can, in some ways, symbolize the Christian's heavenly, spiritual weaponry. Just as the earthly Roman soldier utilizes both defensive and offensive weapons, so too the Christian soldier, battling spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, must utilize both defensive and offensive weapons. And we learn that it's in Ephesians 6 that Paul most clearly describes these pieces of armor, or as I like to call them, the warfare wardrobe, as well as elaborate on their use and purpose. So friends, in each session I'm going to read the entire portion of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, so we don't make the mistake of thinking that these are individual self-contained pieces capable of functioning on their own. They're not, and they can't. They're meant to function like a team. You're probably familiar with that acronym, TEAM, right? T-E-A-M, together each accomplishes much. Well, so it is with the armor of God that Paul lists. One piece of armor will not succeed. Two will not work, nor any combination short of the whole group. Friends, we must put all of them on, and they all must be with us all the time. We must daily dress ourselves with our warfare wardrobe. I recall some time ago a friend mentioned to me that he went all day, including driving, without his wallet in his pocket. He left it in another pair of pants and simply forgot to transfer his wallet when he changed pants. Well, in the spiritual realm, friends, we cannot afford to do this. We cannot leave home without our spiritual valuables, so to speak. Okay, so here's Ephesians six ten through 20 in another good English translation. Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God. By now you know I like to call it the Lord's warfare wardrobe. So you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth, like a belt around your waist, with righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray always. Pray in the Spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. And keeping all this in mind, pray on behalf of God's people. Keep on praying feverishly and be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to him to speak as I should. Friends, in our last session we looked at truth. Spiritual warfare involves standing up for the truth as God has revealed it, both in his written word, the Bible, and in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, the living word, truth incarnate, if you will, truth in the flesh. But friends, standing up for the truth is not just a verbal exercise. We must live out the truth on a daily basis. A merely verbal witness means absolutely nothing if it's not backed or validated by a lifestyle witness. Be on the alert, friends, because for each of these parts of the armor, in other words, the armor of God, the devil and his demon hordes tempt us to live out the exact opposite. Pastor John MacArthur, for whom I have differences with, happens to be correct in this case when he says, Satan attacks believers by leading them to disobey God's word. Because God wants us to act faithfully, and I'll add, faithful to the truth, the enemy encourages us to act unfaithfully. Because God wants us to live morally, the enemy solicits us to live immorally. Because God wants us to be content with what we have, the enemy tempts us to covet. Because God wants us to live by faith, the enemy tempts us to live by sight. And so with every command and standard of Scripture. You see, friends, Paul in Ephesians 6 desperately wants his readers, and by extension us, to be prepared for battle. Why? Because right living doesn't just happen, and opposition is certain. Paul clearly acknowledges the opposition of the spiritual forces of evil proactively working against us. We see this in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, Paul has spent the first five chapters of Ephesians to motivate his readers and us to bring into reality the importance of their theirs and our identity in Christ and the spiritual resources available to them and us in spite of the demonic forces that work against us. I also believe that Paul is attempting to stir up in them a sense of urgency to elevate their awareness of the war therein and to heighten their sense of danger. So please remember, friends, that each session I'm sharing with you on the pieces of armor, that there's counterparts in the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament. The breastplate of righteousness, our focus for today, has its roots in revealing another character quality of God himself. Consider Isaiah 59, 14-17, and notice the connection to truth that we discussed last time. When justice calls, we turn it away. 
Righteousness knows to keep its distance, for truth stumbles in the public square, and honesty is not allowed to enter. There is no truth-telling any more, and anyone who tries to do right finds he is the next target. Sound like today, doesn't it? Isaiah continues, It's true, the Eternal One, in other words, Yahweh, saw it all and was understandably perturbed at the absence of justice. God looked long and hard, but there wasn't a single person who tried to put a stop to the injustices and lies. So God took action. His own strong arm reached out and brought salvation. His own righteousness, good and pure, sustained him. But God's equipment was that of no ordinary warrior. He strapped on righteousness as his breastplate and put on the helmet of salvation, wrapped in vengeance for clothing and passion or zeal as a cloak. God prepared for war. Friends, I hope it's becoming evident that the heart of God, in other words, his essential nature is holiness and character quality is just another way of saying that the breastplate of righteousness signifies the practice of righteousness or living a holy life. The word Paul chooses to use in Ephesians 6.14 for breastplate is where we get our English word thorax. For humans, the thorax refers to the front chest area from just below the neck to the lower abdomen. In first century parlance, a breastplate properly referred to the chest area that extended down to the hip line. A Roman soldier would call this a coat of mail. Figuratively, it refers to something that covers and protects the heart or our capacity for moral preferences. In 1 Samuel 17.5, it's translated a coat of mail by the King James Version. In Nehemiah 4.16, the New American Standard translates it breastplate. For Roman soldiers of the first century, it protected the vital organs from a sword or spear wound. But remember, friends, the Holy Spirit is giving Paul a spiritual lesson. So for Paul, righteousness is connected to the truth. We see this in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, the key verse being verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Truth without righteousness is abhorrent. It doesn't matter that we can wow people with our worldview. It doesn't even matter that we can dazzle people with our doctrine. If these are not coupled with righteous living, we forfeit the moral authority to speak. Just listen to some words originally written in 1658 by Puritan author William Gurnall in his book The Christian in Complete Armor. An orthodox judgment coming from an unholy heart and an ungodly life is as ugly as a man's head would be on a beast's shoulders. The wretch who knows the truth but practices evil is worse than the man who is ignorant. In his book, The Covering, author and teacher Hank Hanegraaff said, Righteousness is the core of Christianity, compressed into a single word. The late Chuck Colson in his book, Loving God, said, Christianity is not just a high-sounding ritual that we perform on Sundays. Christianity is abiding by biblical standards of personal holiness and in turn seeking to bring holiness into the society in which we live. 
In Romans 13, 11-14, we find these statements made by the Apostle Paul. And now consider this. You know well the times you're living in. It is time for you to wake up or wake up from your slumber. I believe what is meant here is spiritual slumber, even spiritual stupor. And see what is right before your eyes. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The darkness of night is dissolving as dawn's light draws near. So wake So walk out on your old dark life and put on the armor of light. In other words, dress with it on. May we all act as good and respectable people, living today the same way as we will on the day of his coming. Do not fall into the patterns of dark living, wild partying, drunkenness, sexual depravity, decadent gratification, quarreling, and jealousy. Instead, wrap yourselves in the Lord Jesus, God's anointed, and do not fuel your sinful imagination by indulging your self-seeking desire for the pleasures of the flesh. Friends, this portion of Romans 13 only strengthens what I've been sharing with you, that the armor represents the character qualities of the Lord, qualities that we are to be imitating. A modern-day equivalent to the first-century language of breastplate might be body armor or even a bulletproof vest worn by police or SWAT teams. Well, in the spiritual realm, friends, as I've been proposing, we must not leave home without it. In other words, we must not leave home without being clothed in our spiritual body armor, our spiritual bulletproof vests. Friends, I believe this idea is behind the Apostle Paul's charge to young Timothy as he began pastoring the church at Ephesus. His words are telling. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is his closing words and final instructions to Timothy. In 6.2 he begins by saying, These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. The result is envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been rooted who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Then Paul goes on to say, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And friends, here's the crux, beginning in verse 11. But you, man of God, and this is a reference to Timothy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, or battle for, even go to war for the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus who, while testifying before Pilate, made the good confession, 
I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. To that, friends, I'll add my own resounding amen and stir us all up to make sure we're wearing our breastplate of righteousness because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I have so appreciated your feedback on the programs that impact you in some way. A listener recently wrote in regarding part two in this series, Satan had a great fall with, I'm so thankful for God's continual presence despite attempts by the devil to steer us in the wrong direction. Well, thanks for those kind words. And remember, friends, podcasts of A Word from the Word are accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please join the support team, especially now during these challenging economic times. Your faithful support helps keep this program on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 